Thanks for sticking around these dark evenings. Tend to increase the impulse to hibernate, to hunker down. It's an act of generosity just to show up and support other people practicing. And giving me the opportunity to share the good news. To me, Dharma is good news. I was thinking tonight, you know, when I said at the end of the sitting, what a great thing to do. It's, it's so rare in this world to have stopping uh, be valued. And, uh, I often quote Amy Krauss Rosenthal, recently deceased editorialist, who talked beautifully about how our primary identity is uh, basically the, in other words, a source of pride is busyness. How are you? Busy. How's your week? Good. Busy. You name the question, busy's the answer. She says, I know we're all terribly busy doing terribly important things, but more often than not, busy is our simple knee-jerk response. She says, have people always been this busy? Did cavemen think they were busy too? This week is crazy. I've got 10 caves to draw on. Can I meet you by the fire next week? And her contention was that it was because of the advent of coffee bars and coffee's luscious byproduct, productivity. The joy of doing, accomplishing, crossing off. But then she reminded us that as kids, our stock answer to every question was, you know, what'd you, how was, what'd you learn at school today? What's new? Nothing. <laughs> she said that like, like youth, she thinks that the word nothing is being wasted on the young. And we need to reintroduce it into our grown-up vernacular. But it's, it's an amazing phenomenon that the source, the source of the deepest source of sustenance is the space between the things. As my friend Wes Nisker said, he started to think, he always thought, that, and all of civilization has thought, that we would find the deepest truth in our thoughts. Somehow figuring it all out. He never considered that it would be in between the thoughts that we would find the deepest truth. And yet, that's where our mindful attention awakens us to. Instead of being simply carried along by the stream of of thinking, we learn how to relate to thinking, how to notice the thinking mind, how to see that it is a, a very wonderful and useful element of our consciousness, 
of our life, of a human life, to be able to think. We do a lot of great things with our thinking. We compute with our thinking, we reason, we imagine, we share our understanding with each other through thinking or through the expression of thought, language. We, so many things are allowed that, that thinking allows us to do. But thinking is not our entire life. And in our modern rational, rational mind-obsessed world, figuring out obsessed world, thinking has completely obliviated the whole, the whole range of other aspects of our humanity that are equally, perhaps if not more important, than the thinking mind. Our eyes and seeing, our ears and hearing, our nose and smelling, our tongue and tasting, our body and feeling. Without these, the thinking mind is, is uh, in some ways divorced from reality, from connection. When we spend too much time devoted with, our, with a misplaced devotion to the thinking mind, the thoughts multiply. The thoughts create a chain. In the teachings, that's called the chain of delusion. We incarnate in our thoughts. And in our thoughts, we become increasingly more isolated. Isolated in the version of reality that is living, that plays in our thoughts. That's very isolated from that which is, that which um, is common to all of us. Our common humanity. Our caring for each other. Our, our sharing with each other. We tend to get isolated. And it's partly because so an excessive devotion to the thinking mind leaves us disembodied. And we lose that sense of connection. So in our meditation practice, we never want to make thought problematic. It's not a problem. It's one of the six sense experiences that we have. We have five physical senses, and we have the mental sense. And we, instead of making thought wrong, bad, we simply notice that we're thinking. We make the process of thinking part of what we, what we experience, what we notice. And in that way, we get to see that a thought is a kind of miraculous, electrical discharge of sorts. It appears spontaneously, selflessly, all by itself. The thoughts seem not to have any thinker. They have no root. They're like a, like a cloud that floats through the sky. 
as the metaphor that's used in the Tibetan tradition, like a footprint of a bird in emptiness. Thoughts have no more reality than that. Yet, when they are seen, when they are understood and seen wisely with, a, with that open, quiet, empty consciousness, we see thoughts are amazing, an amazing part of the creative display of our humanity. Miraculous. And when we pay attention to thoughts in this way, we see that they, they, they have discontinuity. They're just little bubbles. They're not just one long chain. And that, and that version of ourselves that plays in our thoughts is just a story. That, and that story is not just... Um, that story doesn't necessarily reflect our shared humanity. It's, it's very isolated. It's, it's mostly our internal drama. And the more we become disconnected from, from our other senses and our common humanity, our connection with each other, the more that internal drama gets centered around an isolated, unsatisfied, anxious, worried, imagined me that's trying to find some kind of balance, but is trying to do it through figuring things out. Until we finally exhaust ourselves, become so physically uncomfortable, emotionally uncomfortable, that we start seeking, we start find, asking, well, is there, is there a way to find balance? Is there a way to, to find a sense of health and well-being? Because I'm a wreck. And sure enough, without moving a muscle, we stop and make that gigantic leap that goes nowhere from being just carried along by the thinking mind, incarnated in it, isolated in our little internal bubble, to noticing, ah, there's the me story. There's the, the how am I doing story. There is the worried mind. There is the planning mind. There's the remembering mind. We start to see the common themes of the thinking mind. And the very things, that, the very qualities or processes of mind that often take us down a little rabbit hole into intense and increasing anxiety become the cause of our, our freedom. The same thoughts when met with that, what I call the, our closest friend, awareness, that innermost quiet knowing that sees a thought as a thought, that same thought becomes our path, becomes our source of liberation, freedom. Because we see that whatever that noticing is of thinking is untouched by the thoughts. The noticing of thought is free. The thought, once noticed, it also is free. That thought noticed liberates itself. It, 
pops, it, it, the bubble bursts, and the imagined anxious one, that when I'm living in that thought, my body goes into freeze, the imagined anxious one, when that thought is known and that feeling is felt, that imagined anxious one begins to relax. And there's a calming. There's a calming in any moment that I come out of the tangle of my imagined me. There's an instantaneous calming when I just notice anything that's happening. The noticing itself is calm. The noticing is quiet. And even when I'm noticing the, the busyness of the mind, every time I... I interrupt that every time awareness arises to interrupt that stream of distress. Are you relating to what I'm saying? I'm just curious. Every time awareness rises up to interrupt that stream of distress, in that instant, there's, there's vast space. There's room for everything. It become, That moment of waking becomes a moment of complete creative possibility. There's no evidence for being stuck when I could have literally walked around for months, for years, being stuck, building my whole narrative around being stuck, being confused, being off balance, whatever it is that your cherished view is that you get stuck in. We all do. It's very human. But that the moment we wake up to noticing, oh, this is what stuck feels like. If, of course, there's often a physiological residue to that. You feel the heaviness of the tightness of being stuck, but of the residue of being stuck. But you don't find stuck anymore. You just find sensation. You find presence. And when you find presence, then you find everything else that's going on around you. You find each other. There's other humans here. And we're all walking around in our little bubbles. And that's why it, what's, I always think of, of Anthony DeMello, his little story about uh, waking up, you know, where he, at the risk of some of you hearing this for the 20th time, about the, the, the Spanish father who knocks on his son Jaime's bedroom in the morning. He says, Jaime! wake up. And uh, he says, wake up, wake up. It's time to go to school. And Jaime reluctantly says, I, I don't want to get up. I don't want to go to school. And his uh, father says, well, why don't you want to go to school? And he says, I hate school. It's number one. Two, the kids tease me. And I forgot the third one. Hate school, kids tease me. Anyway, his dad says, well, I'll give you three reasons why you have to go to school. One, it's your duty. Two, you're 45 years old. <laughs> three, you're the headmaster. Wake up. Wake up. 
So we really are, we are the headmaster. We are, we have, we are um, <laughs> inherently filled with a certain kind of light and love. And believe it or not, the source of that light and love is sometimes we're only able to recognize it when there is a momentary suspension of our cherished views. There's a little gap. That's why I said tonight, it's so typical when we, when our mind drifts into fantasy, you know, sometimes it's really pleasurable to be kind of just daydreaming and sometimes somewhat productive, you know, you get some kinds of creative epiphanies. But in meditation practice, when we kind of drift into, into our imagined world, and lose a sense of being aware of, of, having, of being in that world, be, in a sense being incarnated in it, be, believing that whatever that world we're wandering in, it's kind of daydreaming. When we're caught in it, nothing we can do, but when we wake up, often there's a feeling of, oh, I, I'm bad, I'm wrong, I got absorbed in that world, I'm a bad meditator, and we build a whole new identity as a bad meditator. But there's often a little recrimination, as though there is somebody who did that. The fact is, thoughts arose, those same thoughts that, that part of that discharge, that thought arose, and mindfulness hap didn't happen to rise up to notice that the thinking mind was thinking. And so that thought, because it wasn't noticed with, aware with mindfulness, that it was bent by its nature to create a, a a substitute universe, an imaginary world. And so it is, it's actually, a, when you wake up to realize, oh, it's, I'm not in that imaginary world anymore, I'm actually here. I'm aware. I'm in the space between imaginary worlds. Instead of really taking that in, taking that moment in between my dramas, there's no drama in real-time awareness. Instead of really taking that in, we create a new drama about the bad yogi who, should have been, who shouldn't have been lost in thought and took the blame for that process that happened all by itself anyway. So we have this opportunity to both, when we wake up to where we are, no matter how, where or how far we've wandered, whether it's a half hour in our imagination, that moment that we wake up, there's a gap in the stream of distress. We have the opportunity to relax, enjoy the view, groove for maybe the one time in the day where you can actually groove on reality and be okay in spite of what people say about you in spite of what you say about you, in spite of whatever memory, association, whatever happened to you that you've been carrying for 50 years, that moment of waking up is, that's the, it's the highest happiness. It is, it, it's a gift, a moment of undistractedness. And yet, it often just gets obliterated with either 
addiction to falling back into the stream or judgment about having wandered. So we have this gift of wakefulness and I guess my thought tonight was how great to come together with other people and nurture that gift and, and appreciate those moments when you wake up to mind that gap, as they say at the, in the underground in London, mind the gap, mind the gap. Just sense what it's like. Not one person here is as bad as you think, as screwed up as you think. Just at least take that opportunity to recognize that in you in real time that's not screwed up. The only the imagined you is screwed up. The real direct experience of life isn't really measurable like that. What's screwed up is our, is our um, story about ourselves. Of course, the, that story is part of, part of our individuality, part of our humanness. It's beautiful, wondrous, and all that, but it, it just never, it just can't quite deliver that deep rest that we are all searching for. But that deep rest is already present in that open relaxation and kind of letting ourselves go. And, or as Anthony DeMello says, wake up, you're the headmaster. So just to emphasize this, I'll just share, maybe you'll get a feeling for this this wakefulness, this invisible presence, fact that you're aware. From the Buddha, there's a field of experience beyond the entire field of matter, the entire field of mind, which is neither this world nor another, nor both, neither moon nor sun. I call it neither arising nor passing away nor abiding, neither dying nor rebirth. It is without support, without development, without foundation. This is the end of suffering. This is the nature of your mind. Or as Noshoken Rinpoche said, profound and tranquil, free from complexity, uncompounded luminous clarity beyond the mind of conceptual ideas. This is the depth of mind of the Buddhas. In this there's nothing to be removed, nor anything that needs to be added. It is merely the immaculate looking naturally at itself. or in a more slightly more elegant, flowery way, the Advaita Vedanta flavor. True awareness is a state of pure knowing, noticing, without the least attempt to do anything about the event being witnessed. 
Your thoughts and feelings, words and actions may also be part of the event. You notice all unconcerned in the full light of clarity and understanding. You understand precisely what is going on because it does not affect you. It seems to be an attitude of cold aloofness, but it is not really so. Once you are in it, you will find that you will love what you see. Whatever may be its nature, this choiceless love is the touchstone of awareness. If it's not there, you are merely interested for some personal reason. So this, this which is our deepest nature, our most natural state, you could call it awareness, Buddha nature, consciousness, uh, it is not personal, it's, un, it's unconditional, unconstructed. It's nearer than, nearer than our breath. And this is what we awaken to and nurture by practicing attention moment to moment. Because attention, the noticing of the different experiences that present themselves, is just an expression, it's an aspect of this uh, nature of mind, this awareness. And one of those domains, the most liberating domain to pay attention to is the domain of the thinking mind, is to come out of the tangle of it. It doesn't mean not to have thoughts. In fact, there are thoughts when you're awake and aware and sensitive, there are thoughts that you see are very useful to, to nurture. Thoughts of goodwill, that, that kind of love. To me, one of my teachers said the most, the most um, the best use of your conceptual mind is to incline it toward goodwill, toward compassion, to, you, to consciously target your thoughts, to wish yourself, to wish those who are near and dear to you, wish those who are suffering in this world, wish those who are causing suffering, wish all beings in all directions, including yourself, that they be happy and peaceful. To keep inclining your thoughts toward, toward seeing our common humanity. Just keeping, continuing to reflect that we don't exist independently apart from each other. Keep reflecting that whatever your actions are, they produce results and they don't just affect you. To Reflect every day. Use your mind to reflect on the reality of our human condition so that we're in harmony with it. Reflect every day. As the, in the Theravada tradition, the five daily reflections, really useful thing to just think about. I am sure to grow old. I can't avoid aging. I'm sure to get sick. I can't avoid, avoid illness. I'm sure to die. I can't avoid death. I'm sure to be separated from all that I hold near and dear. And then finally, my actions are my relations. I am the heir, the inheritor of my, of my actions and the fruits of my actions. 
So reflecting on that your actions matter, reflecting on the fact of impermanence, great use of our conceptual mind. But to use our conceptual mind to, to worry, to incessantly plan, to incessantly remember, to incessantly um, doubt, incessantly desire, incessantly harangue, or sow ill will, it's not helpful. So it's really important to wake up, notice what you're doing. Notice, am I aware? What am I aware of? What's the attitude in my mind? What are the, what are the, how am I thinking today? Am I, is my thinking productive? Is it loving or is it, is it um, just crazy? Of course, you want to keep a sense of humor about your crazy because we're all crazy. That's what Bhante Gunaratna says, somewhere in the process of meditation, you will come to the realization that you're completely crazy. Your mind is a shrieking madhouse on wheels, barreling down the hill, utterly out of control and hopeless. It says not to worry about this. It's no worse than it was yesterday. You just didn't notice. So, but once you're relating to your crazy mind, then it's workable. It's totally workable. And what makes, that, what makes it workable is our dearest, nearest and dearest, really, which is awareness, being aware. Because awareness will only enhance the, the wholesome thoughts and make them, bring them to life, loving, wise. It'll cause a resonance. The... The awareness will cause the unwholesome thoughts to diminish because we'll, our intelligence tells us it's ridiculous to feed this, this cycle of, of ill will toward ourselves or others. It just doesn't help. We know that. But while we're carried along by that stream of distress, there's not much we can do. But when we wake up, it's all workable. So may we all discover the workability of our hearts and minds. May we all awaken to our deepest nature. And may we all discover the natural happiness of being conscious. And may we never stray away from this. And may we wish for all beings to recognize the sacred happiness. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings find a balance of heart and mind by their sense of embodied presence. May we include all of our senses and may all beings include their senses so that we can accommodate this absolutely insane world of greed, hatred, and ignorance with, with much less reactivity. The world isn't necessarily going to change, but we can change the way we relate to the world. So good luck over the Christmas holiday. Good luck over the new year. Um, try to see the good in whoever you connect with. We're more common than we are different. That's the bottom line. But in our little imaginations, we're, it's, it's us against the world. Anyway, enjoy and thank you so much for this 
whole last year. I will be back on January 2nd, day after New Year's, but next week, Yvonne Ginsberg, take advantage of her presence here and enjoy whatever you do, whether you're alone, whether you're with people, whether you're in the mall, wake up. You're the, you're the headmaster. Thanks again. Blessings, blessings. Yes. Great. What, would you like me to sign it? Uh,